Cybercrime takes many forms, one of which is ransomware. In ransomware attacks, transnational cybercriminals use malicious software to hold digital systems hostage and demand a ransom. These attacks have targeted our critical infrastructure, law enforcement agencies, hospitals, schools, municipalities, and businesses of all sizes. Today we are announcing that we are bringing to justice an alleged perpetrator of a significant, wide-reaching ransomware attack. On July 2nd, the multinational information software company Kaseya and its customers were attacked by one of the most prolific strains of ransomware, known as R-Evil or Soda No Kibi. That is the voice of U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland. He's the most senior law enforcement official in the United States. In November 2022, he had an extraordinary announcement in the fight against ransomware, which is one of the greatest crime waves to ever affect the internet. A 22-year-old Ukrainian man named Yaroslav Vasinsky was arrested as he crossed into Poland. Vasinsky had been indicted three months prior on charges of perpetrating one of the most devastating and far-reaching ransomware attacks. The attack exploited software vulnerabilities in remote management software made by an American software company called Kaseya. Vasinsky was allegedly involved with a prolifically destructive ransomware gang that calls itself R-Evil, which is short for Ransomware Evil. The incident is not only amongst the largest ransomware attacks of all time, but it's also one of the most intriguing. It involves the use of zero-day software vulnerabilities that were known to only a handful of people. It involves a race between attackers trying to snare a ransom payment and defenders developing a patch. It involves a secret operation that hacked back against the R-Evil hackers. And that's just before we get into the sweeping effects that this attack had on its victims. Around 1,500 were affected. Among those were Robert Chaffee. He's the founder of Progressive Computing, which is a New York-based managed service provider. MSPs manage IT systems on behalf of other organizations. Robert's company used a type of software developed by Kaseya called the Virtual Systems Administrator to do that. All 80 of his clients, which were mostly small businesses, were infected. On the day of the attack, July 2nd, 2021, Robert wondered if his business of nearly 30 years was going to survive. You know that saying when they say your life flashes before your eyes? That's what happened to me on July 2nd of 2021. 28 and a half years of my life and my business life flashed before my eyes. I had thoughts about what my future might look like that were in very dark recesses of people's minds. Like all the things that you think about, that nightmare scenario, suddenly became a potential reality for me, and it quite frankly scared the crap out of me. We're gonna hear more from Robert later. This episode is a companion to episode five of the Ransomware Files, which focused on our evil's attack against an MSP in Texas. That attack resulted in 23 Texas cities being infected. Both the Texas and Kaseya incidents share unique characteristics. Both were conducted by R-Evil affiliates, both are what many would describe are supply chain attacks, and both resulted in a rare event, successful law enforcement actions. This episode is going to interview key people around the Kaseya incident and even Kaseya itself. Also, this episode will have new technical information about the Kaseya vulnerabilities from the Dutch research group that discovered the problems. This is the Ransomware Files. I'm Jeremy Kirk. Mm-hmm.
In this podcast miniseries, I'm speaking with those who've navigated their way through a ransomware incident and learn how they fought back and what tips they can pass on to others. No ransomware infection is ever welcomed, but there's invaluable knowledge gained. There should be no shame in getting infected, but it's important to share the lessons. interested in more content about ransomware, there's more than just this podcast. The Click Here podcast by The Record Media has done a fantastic episode about the Our Evil Gang and its attack on Texas cities. One of those affected cities was Borger. Computers there began flashing ransomware messages, and then some of the city's printers suddenly sprung to life. Jason Whistler is the town's emergency management coordinator. Personnel would you know, see the paper on the printer and look at it and it'd be like a a ransom printout that would be on the printers. You're infected, pay up. Dimitri Smilianets works at the cyber intelligence company Recorded Future. Dimitri had a long online chat last year with a member of Our Evil who went by the alias Unknown. Their main goal is to make money and they will not stop on anything until they make this money. And since Texas, Our Evil launched a new kind of product called Ransomware as a Service. ClickHere's host, Dina Temple-Rastin, digs into how that cybercriminal business model works. You can listen at clickhereshow.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. Some might say 2016 was the year of ransomware. Although ransomware has been around for decades, that year is when ransomware gangs really began to hone their skills. But you could also say that every year after 2016 has also been the year of ransomware. The groups have continually improved their file encrypting malware, they developed business models that expanded their reach, and in the end, they're compromising an ever-increasing number of victims. And also there's the money. It's a billion dollar plus industry. Ransomware gangs are also looking to infiltrate managed service providers or MSPs. MSPs fill a critical gap for organizations that don't have the right amount of in-house IT skill. MSPs help with patching applications, installing applications, making sure email works properly. To do that cost-effectively, MSPs use remote access software to do those tasks from afar. Ransomware groups saw this as an opportunity. Compromise an MSP and you could strike gold by potentially infecting all of their clients. Organizations such as the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency had long warned that state-sponsored hackers were hunting for vulnerable MSPs for cyber espionage and intellectual property theft purposes. Then, the ransomware gangs joined in. There's not a huge number of vendors of remote monitoring and management software for MSPs, but Kasey is one of the most popular ones. It's based in Miami, and it develops an application called the Virtual Systems Administrator. Its logo kind of looks like an italicized version of the one for Visa's credit or debit cards, but without the eye. The story of the Kasey incident starts around April 2021. Oh, scratch that. The story of Kaseya starts in the days when applications were often coded in the programming language known as Classic ASP, which is short for Active Server Pages. This was Microsoft's first server-side scripting language, and it was introduced in the 1990s. It revolutionized web applications and how web pages were built. Kaseya's VSA was written in Classic ASP. It's not a bad programming language per se, but it's just that time has long since passed it by. And this is the critical part. It was just easy in classic ASP to make coding mistakes that led to SQL injection flaws, cross-site scripting issues, and on. 
Kaseya's VSA has since had a major overhaul, but in the couple of years leading up to the incident, cyber criminals and other groups had been paying very close attention to vulnerabilities or potential vulnerabilities in remote management software. But one of those groups was on the good side. The Dutch Institute for Vulnerability Disclosure is a volunteer group of security researchers. It was founded by Victor Gavers. He's a hacking legend. He could have taken over former President Donald Trump's Twitter account not once, but twice after guessing Trump's weak passwords. Gevers and other volunteers with DIVD hunt for high-impact software vulnerabilities, responsibly report them to the appropriate vendor, and then hope they get fixed quickly. Their mission is simple. It's to make the internet safer. Frank Braydyke is the manager of DIVD's Computer Security Incident Response Team. He's been with DIVD since day two, and he knows the story of Kaseya inside out. One of DIVD's researchers, Witza Bonstra, encountered Kaseya's VSA software last year while doing a pen test. So Witza is what they call a penetration tester. Companies hire him to try to break into their network so they can then fix the problems he finds. Here's Frank. During a pen test uh, at a customer, he, he encountered Kaseya, uh, Kaseya VSA, I should say, because Kaseya is just the company. And he was running the pen test and he found out that he got that irking feeling that, you know what, it looks like there's more to find here, but he was running out of time. Wietse being Wietse, what he decided to do was, you know what, I'll take the software home or I'll try to, to find a copy that I can download somewhere. Uh, so he sold it on a local server and uh, when other people watched Netflix uh, for fun, uh, Wietse likes to fool around with software for fun. And so, so he's, while, while he was sitting on the couch with his, uh, with his significant other, uh, he, was, he was testing around and playing around with, uh, with the software. And, and that's how he first, uh, first encountered the vulnerabilities. And uh, yeah, it was a matter of, okay, this is serious. We better contact, uh, contact Kaseya. DIVD found around seven issues and one was particularly bad. It was an authentication bypass for the on-premises versions of VSA that were facing the internet. Now, that's a lot of jargon, so let's explain this in a simpler way. Many managed service providers used VSA to manage their clients' infrastructure, and many just left that VSA server just on the internet. It meant that anyone in theory could just browse to that MSP's VSA server and see a login and password dialog box. An authentication bypass means you can get around that dialog without using a username and password. Next, Frank is going to explain how this flaw worked. And to note, he and DIVD have never described it to this level of detail until now, but they believe enough time has passed that it's safe to do so. They're also posting this new information on their blog, and you can find a link to that in the show notes. The authentication bypass that we found, it was hard to fix because it was actually in the business logic. So there is a page where you can go to, where you can download the Kaseya client. And then once you install the Kaseya client, it needs to authenticate itself to the Kaseya server. And that server needs to be accessible. Now with both the pandemic and, and the way organizations are going, more often or not, that one network that everybody has access to is the internet. And I'm disclosing details now that we haven't disclosed before. So, so the authentication bypass that we found uh, was actually there's a page called uh, dl.asp and I think dl stands for download um, and on that dl.asp page there's a link where you can download the executable 
or could download the, the executable for the Kaseya agent. If you downloaded the Kaseya agent and you clicked install, then it would generate an any file on disk. And that any file actually contained a Kaseya user agent, a uh, Kaseya agent password and username. And with that password and username, you could actually also authenticate yourself and obtain a ses valid session ID for anything on the web interface. DIVD found other issues too, including SQL injection flaws, most affected not only the on-premises version of VSA, but also the software as a service version, with the exception of the authentication bypass. DIVD promptly reported the flaws to Kaseya in April 2021. And as many security researchers know, reporting security flaws to organizations can be fraught with tension and it doesn't always go well. But DIVD founder Victor Gavers says Kaseya was welcoming. So Ritsa Bonsta um, started investigating the software, uh, analyzing it locally. And um, he found uh, a few vulnerabilities very quickly. Um, um, the most interesting part for me was that Kaseya was very open. It was very easy to get in contact, set up a first meeting. We invited them uh, to a video meeting because of the pandemic. And actually, the, um, the first conversation went pretty well. Um, uh, we told the well, uh, we found a couple of issues that needs to be fixed as soon as possible. And then we set up uh, a safe way for sharing his uh, research. In fact, Kaseya created user accounts for DIVD researchers so they could collaborate on Microsoft Teams. The researchers had a video call with Kaseya's CTO nearly straight away. Frank says the reaction from Kaseya was instant and positive. I've never seen this kind of collaboration and, and, and really joining into this at, at this level. Because we, we actually, because we were part of their organization, it also meant that we could reach out to them a lot easier. Uh, um, sometimes as easy as like, hey, we found something new or, or this mitigation. And we could shoot off a message straight to the guys that were working on that. And they would bounce ideas off us as well. If we tackled things this way, would, would that work or would it tackle this other way? And, and, and it was, I think it was important as well because uh, they had built up a lot of technical debt. Between April and July of 2021, Kaseya fixed some of the flaws, but not all of them, including that all-powerful authentication bypass. There's always a nervous period of exposure between when a vulnerability is privately disclosed to an organization and when it is patched. Bug reports are usually highly confidential information because if the attackers get the information, they could use it. Little did anyone know, our evil was about to shock everybody. July 2nd, 2021 was a Friday. And in the US, it was just ahead of the 4th of July weekend. And there's nothing more that attackers like to do than to ruin a good weekend. They rightly anticipate that defenders are gonna start to relax a bit and maybe are a little bit less attentive than normal. And also some of them are simply gonna be off for the weekend. 
George Zamfir is a security analyst with Visma Group, which is a large IT services and consulting company headquartered in Oslo. George works from Sibiu, a city in central Romania. He's a former software developer who got into security, and he's pretty handy with the Python programming language. He ended up writing a tool that Visma now uses daily for threat intelligence. At the time when he wrote it, the tool didn't have a name, so someone suggested they call it Cyber George. Here's George. Like, damn, that's good. I'm gonna stick with that. And so <laughs> I'm Cyber George, and we also have a tool called Cyber George. That Friday marked the last day of George's first week on duty shift with Visma monitoring security alerts. He had a couple of small alerts earlier in the week. Then on Friday, he got a weird feeling while he was speaking to a colleague. I don't know, 9 p.m. in the evening or nine and a half, something like that. Uh, I was talking to him and I was like, I feel like there's a third incident coming. I can feel it. And the guy was like, why? What's happening? And that was the point when everything started to go a bit weird. The alerts started to come in for, for things that should not trigger an alert. I started to see ransomware alerts. Visma had three servers running VSA in its data center, and it was used to service clients such as the Coop grocery store chain in Sweden and a pharmacy there, and I'm going to slaughter this pronunciation, Apotec Yaktak. Endpoint detection and response software running on those machines detected the attack and raised alerts of possible ransomware. Little did George know it would be the start of an absolutely huge incident. Adrian Stanilla is a senior information security researcher with Visma who is also based in Romania. For George, it was baptism of fire because yeah, it was the his first on-duty week and yeah, it was the first incident. And I think the incident it can, it's the same proportion like no patria from some perspectives. George started looking around the internet for clues if other people were seeing the same things that he was seeing. He found something on Reddit. A security company called Huntress Labs had started a thread on a subreddit for MSPs. Huntress Labs is based in the state of Maryland in the U.S., and it specializes helping manage service providers with security. John Hammond is a senior security researcher with Huntress. And that day, you know, the weekend of July 4th, things were starting off kind of as they usually do. Hey, got a couple alerts in the dashboard, a couple things that need investigation, need reporting, etc. Um, and I don't, uh, truthfully, I don't know what kind of looked like the, the, the match to start the fire here. But we noticed after a couple different reports of ransomware that kept popping up, there seemed to be some sort of commonality after one report of ransomware on a, on a partner and then another, and then maybe a third or few that each of them seemed to be working and running in their computer network and their system with the Kaseya VSA software using that mm -hmm. as their remote monitoring and management provider. Uh, and it took some of the head honchos or other fellows here at our team to start to think, um, this looks like it might be a trend, you know, Two database, two data points might make a line, but when we start to have more here, uh, maybe something's going on. John says there were enough odd things going on for Huntress's CEO, Kyle Hanslevan, to reach out directly to Kaseya. So truthfully, we, we had reached out to Kaseya. We have some <laughs> crazy screenshots of, again, Kyle, our CEO, just dropping a note. Hey, can, can you, we get on the phone real quick? Can we just hop in a Zoom session? Because uh, we have some critical thing that we'd like to just chat about. 
And then our, our numbers grew from three to eight of known affected hosts and, and then 15 and then 30 and then more uh, until eventually, hey, this becomes the story that folks know today. Huntress published a really detailed thread on Reddit, which became almost a kind of North Star for other organizations seeking out information. Uh, so I was curious, like, why Reddit? I mean, I love Reddit, but I, I just don't see that kind of stuff shared on Reddit usually, I guess. Oh, totally. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you asked because you're right. Normally, hey, that's is that the most professional avenue to be able to try and, I don't know, offer threat intelligence and, and nerdy code and syntax and indicators of compromise? But just as you mentioned, hey, I people like Reddit. People hang out on Reddit. People are, might be in a Discord community or a Slack community. I don't know. But it's natural for managed service providers to be in that r slash MSP subreddit. So we go where the fish are, right? We wanted to, again, get this in front of as many people as possible. In New York, Robert Chaffee of Progressive Computing was looking forward to a nice long weekend off. He says the weather in New York was perfect. Right. On uh, July 2nd of 2021, it was a Friday afternoon here in New York. Uh, uh, typical uh, end of June, early July weather. Sun was shining, you know, uh, great weather, bright, clear skies, uh, very comfortable, warm uh, uh, conditions outside. We were all looking forward to a great Fourth of July day weekend. Uh, very typical of the weather here uh, in, in that um uh, time of the year, and and I'm and I'm focused on the weather because uh, as a you know uh, a New Yorker, as someone who lives in the Northeast, you know you, we kind of have some some rough winters, and you know you really relish those you know bright sunny days, and so the mood was pretty um, uh, jovial here. We were all looking forward to just you know disconnecting for three days. It was around lunchtime, and Robert says he was in his kitchen when he first found out something was going on. And it was around uh, lunchtime because I was in my kitchen when um, my director of operations came upstairs and was walking down the hall. I had a clear line of sight to see him out the kitchen uh, door, and I knew something was wrong. I knew something was dreadfully wrong because he was pale white, and I had commented to uh, one of my team members who was sitting next to me to say, I think somebody just died, because that was the look on Jay's face. Jay looked like... He was coming to deliver uh, some really bad news about somebody's death. Um, and then when I approached him to ask him what happened, and he began to tell me that uh, all of our customers were ransomware and that the phones were ringing off the hook, uh, it even took me a few moments of questioning him uh, because I was in disbelief myself. He was already in, you know, uh, uh, a, a few layers deep into that uh, shock. And I was just starting to experience the first tastes of that shock because I couldn't comprehend the words coming out of his mouth uh, that all of our customer, I was, uh, all of our customers were ransomware. It it just didn't make sense to me. What? How is it that everyone is ransomware? That that's no. That you're wrong, Jay. Like, th there's got to be a different answer here. At the time, Progressive Computing had 80 customers spread amongst 200 physical locations. Um, and he just kept insisting the phones are ringing off the hook, every single account. And then he just started to name them. And I think that was the moment in which um, this really black cloud uh, um, started to envelop me. Uh, despite the beautiful weather and despite all our great plans for that weekend, um, the, the mood just changed dramatically. 
Our evil had just pulled off quite a caper. It had launched a fast and furious attack using the authentication bypass vulnerability and other vulnerabilities. Some of the same issues that Victor Gavers and DIVD had reported to Kaseya had been discovered by the ransomware attackers. These were zero day vulnerabilities that were supposed to be secret. So what's going on? There are several possible explanations. First, it's not unheard of for vulnerability researchers working separately to stumble across some of the same vulnerabilities around the same time. And our evil was a well-funded group. It had been hiring penetration testers and bug hunters to find new avenues to spread its ransomware. Another possibility is that perhaps Kaseya's systems had already been hacked and that the hackers were inside its internal ticketing or bug reporting systems. A third possibility is that DIVD, the Dutch bug hunters who reported the vulnerabilities in April to Kaseya, was hacked. Frank says DIVD is confident that it wasn't hacked, but our evil did try. So we were really worried that we had a leak, that somehow the information leaked from us to Revil. Um, in the end, we looked into it. Our CISO put, in, put together a team to investigate it and... Uh, we ruled it out. We we did see that Revil tried to uh, try to attack us. Uh, I think Beatser server all of a sudden saw a lot of requests from Russia that it didn't see before. Uh, requests that were clearly up to no good. Um, but yeah, in the end, we were able to rule out uh, that we had uh, that we had leaked actively leaked this. The attackers had used the authentication bypass and other vulnerabilities to begin distributing a payload. The payload was basically a bogus update for the Kaseya agent, which turned out to be the ransomware belonging to R-Evil. There were indications, however, that R-Evil pushed the attack quickly ahead on the fly. For example, they didn't delete volume shadow copies, which is a Windows backup mechanism. Intact shadow copies can help organizations recover faster, which of course ransomware groups want to prevent. Our evil also did not exfiltrate data. Usually, our evil extracted sensitive data before encrypting it so they could release it publicly later. Our evil often dumped the data of its victims on a blog it called its happy blog. But both of these non-actions were a sign that perhaps our evil knew that Kaseya was close to patching. The window of opportunity was closing, so it just had to hurry up and hit as many MSPs as it could. There were at least 50 MSPs that had vulnerable Kaseya instances that were exploited. But this kind of attack flows downstream. So it's not just those MSPs, but their customers as well. Estimates of as many as 1,500 customers of those affected MSPs were infected. And we see from Robert of Progressive Computing, the attack against his VSA server affected 80 of his customers downstream. A lot of those victims never really surfaced publicly, but some of the big ones did. The Coop grocery chain in Sweden shut down some 800 stores because their POS systems were infected. It also affected the POS systems for the Swedish pharmacy. That's what makes Espen Johansson so mad about ransomware. Espen is the security director for Visma Group, and he works with Adrian Stanilla and Cyber George. He says ransomware affects real people. In this incident, people couldn't pay for their medicine at the pharmacies in Sweden because of ransomware. They couldn't use their local grocery store because of ransomware. What effects this ransomware has? Uh, it's just a bunch of, of morons sitting there trying to make a buck uh, from injecting some viruses. And in a gamer-like um, existence, and then you have actually shopkeepers who have to close down their shops and pharmacies that cannot deliver medicines to their customers, which is, of course, the, the other end of, of such attacks. 
Frank says DIVD was in touch with Kaseya after the attack started, and he says company officials were initially shell-shocked. DIVD told Kaseya in a typical Dutch direct fashion that they were screwed. Well, the word that Frank used with me starts with F and ends in ED, but we don't need to say that here. But Kaseya immediately did a few remarkable things. On the technical side, they shut down the software as a service version of VSA completely. Although that version wasn't vulnerable to the authentication bypass, there were other vulnerabilities in the product. Then DIVD, Kaseya, and other agencies began pushing the word to organizations still running on-premises VSA servers that were facing the internet and telling them they needed to take them offline immediately. And just a couple days after the attack, the vast majority of vulnerable VSA instances were offline. And Kaseya embarked on a very open and transparent campaign to keep its customers and others informed. And it's important to note that even in an age when most organizations at one time or another have had a security incident, they're not always handled well. But Kaseya began publishing regular and highly detailed updates on its website. Kaseya's CEO, Fred Vokola, released video updates. They also called on the sales team and tasked it with reaching out to every single one of the company's 35,000 or so customers, even those not affected by the attack. And in the background, Kaseya was doing something remarkable. It started working straight away with the FBI. <laughs> Cooperation is a reflection of the company and a direct reflection of the CEO and the leadership within Kaseya. So you have people that took unprecedented steps that during an incident that, quite frankly, I hadn't seen before, which is one of the reasons I joined them. That is Jason Menard. Jason was a cybercrime supervisory special agent with the FBI in Miami, and he led the investigation into the Kaseya incident. And then, just three months after the attack, Kaseya actually hired him as its chief information security officer. During his time as an FBI agent, Jason saw a lot of organizations that didn't handle breaches or ransomware incidents with the same openness. Here, Jason describes how Kaseya promptly posted information about the incident in a long, rolling blog post. I remember what was so striking is I wasn't even with the company, I was with the FBI, and I would get off the call and I had their page up because, you know, I wanted to see what they were providing the general public. And literally, literally within minutes, oftentimes, of a conversation that I would have with them, they would update that page. And I was just like, I've never seen this before, ever. You know, usually it's a generic sentence. Usually it's generic um, marketing to, to everybody in the company. And a lot of times it's straight up denial. Um, and not only that, but especially when you worked for law enforcement, as I did in the FBI, you get people that wouldn't uh, provide information to you to, to help with the investigation. And, um, and it was not that case with Kasey at all. Uh, they, they wanted to make sure that uh, the FBI got information that was directly attributed uh, to the attackers so that they could take action. And of course, we now know that with that information that was provided, they were able to take action. So there are several crazy twists to the Kaseya story, and here's one of them. Three weeks after the attack, Kaseya announced that it had a universal decryption key. Like that, magic. And they didn't pay for it. 
Somehow, the FBI and its foreign law enforcement partners managed to get a universal decryption key that would unlock all of the computers affected by our evil's ransomware. The technical details about how this key was obtained are unknown, but we generally know that law enforcement got inside our evil servers. But I knew Jason knew more, and I knew he probably wasn't going to tell me. We know from the record that something really extraordinary happens. The key is obtained, and this is the key that will decrypt all the systems affected by this ransomware campaign. So how does that happen? Well, uh, I can say because I was on the other side, um, it's very interesting how that happens, and I wish I could disclose more to you, um, but uh, I will leave that uh, for the FBI to share what it wants to share about that process. Okay, I tried. To be honest, the continuing mystery of precisely how the universal decryption key was obtained is probably more alluring than the actual answer, but we can put together a likely scenario here. Ransomware gangs often have terrible operational security. They make mistakes when setting up their systems, which can allow researchers and law enforcement to get inside their servers. As an example, in February 2022, the Conti ransomware gang saw years of chat logs released publicly. It provided researchers with a rich trove of data on the inner workings of this criminal gang. At least two security companies and possibly law enforcement had been inside Conti's private Jabber server watching cyber criminals chat for years. That kind of material is pretty useful for cybercrime analysts like John DiMaggio. He's a chief security strategist with Analyst One, which is a cybersecurity company based in Virginia. He studies and analyzes cybercrime and attacks, and it's a skill that comes from an interesting past. I did have a question about your background. So when I describe you, if I described you as a former spy, is that too, is that taking it too far or? Uh... I, I love it. <laughs> I love it. If you want to say that, I would never say that about myself, but it sounds, my kids will think that's so freaking cool. <laughs> so I, I don't have any problem with it. Seriously though, John used to work in signals intelligence for a US government agency that he can't name. Earlier this year, John wrote the definitive history of the R. Evil ransomware gang. It reads like a cybercrime mafia novel. There's extortion, there's loads of cash, there's betrayal, there's arrests in Russia and elsewhere, and ultimately, the downfall and disappearance of the group. John says that leading up to the Kaseya incident, the U.S. and other governments were increasingly getting frustrated with this flagrant group. In May, a former R-Evil affiliate known as Darkseid ransomwared the energy company Colonial Pipeline. The attack resulted in fuel shortages because although the ransomware didn't affect the pipeline itself, the pipeline was shut down as a precaution. And in the same month, an R-Evil affiliate struck JBS Foods, which is one of the world's largest meat producers. They were striking at national infrastructure related to energy and food production, which quickly raises the stakes. Plus, they were just flagrant, pompous jerks. The group bragged about its ransomware and had taken in nearly $200 million. Members of the group gave press interviews. Its swagger was huge, and John says the group grew increasingly careless. As they got bigger, it just seemed like they they were less um, alert. They didn't monitor things as well, and they just got sloppy, and their ego seemed to really overtake their operational security. And, and I think that's a discipline. I think that 
you know, when you have that sort of discipline and you don't let yourself get to that point where you rush, you make mistakes or, you know, have a few drinks and jump online to do work, which to them, this is work, you know, all of those sort of things. You just, you get sloppy. And I really do think that's what this was a combination of ego and just sort of getting too comfortable with, with their position and believing that they could never, ever get caught. Law enforcement capitalized on whatever mistake our evil made and snatched the universal key. We know from the timeline that the FBI and its partners obtained the key just within a day or two of the attack. So that means they were already in position before the attack happened and were ready to strike. But law enforcement didn't give the key to Kaseya immediately. It was only released three weeks later, which was a decision that proved to be quite controversial. In that interim, there were companies that were paying individual ransoms to our evil to get the key. And there were also suggestions that perhaps Kaseya should cough up the 70 million our evil was asking in exchange for that universal key, which would bail out all of those 1,500 victims. We found out later why the key was held back. At a congressional hearing, FBI Director Christopher Wray said the agency was working on an investigation into our evil. Ray said that the Bureau didn't want to tip off attackers that law enforcement had gained some access to their infrastructure. It was undoubtedly a tough call. I asked Robert of Progressive Computing how much it would have helped to have had the key earlier and if that trade-off was worth it. Yeah, I, I, I think it's an excellent and fair question. Um, the FBI had that decryption key within a matter of days of the attack. Would it have helped us and all of our customers? Uh, I can't even begin to illustrate the um, the emotional, psychological, uh, and uh, uh, impacts that it had on our relationships with customers, uh, the goodwill that was destroyed by this attack, um, the questions that came up, the um, the hundreds of thousands of dollars in expenses uh, that came uh, uh, that arose out of this attack. It would have saved all of us an immense amount of grief. Now, all that being said, um, from a guy who is at ground zero in this, and that was not only professionally, but even personally affected by this, do I support the FBI's decision to withhold that information if they felt that they could have um, maybe captured some criminals? Um, I say yes. If I had my video camera on, you'd see a an American flag behind me. And I didn't hang that there just because I had no place else to put it. But I really wanted people to see, especially during COVID times, that I'm a proud American. And uh, even though my parents are immigrants from a different country, I mean, that's why why they came here. And this country has offered me and my business partner and our families and our employees so much that I think in this case, I mean, we had to take it on the chin for the good of our ability of law enforcement to go after these guys. So I'm the first one to wrap them the flag around me and say, yeah, I mean, I think we had to do, you know, what what was necessary. I'm sure if you'd asked me at that moment in time, we can either have the, the decryption key or we can go after the bad guys. I'd probably say, give me the encryption key. But I certainly don't harbor any ill will. It was a decision made. I'm sure it was a tough decision made uh, at the at some very high levels within the FBI. And if they felt that that was the right thing to do, then I'm going to support that 100%. 
But we know it ultimately worked. You heard Attorney General Merrick Garland at the beginning of this episode. In March 2022, Jaroslaw Wyszynski was extradited from Poland to the United States and will face charges for his alleged involvement in the attack against Kaseya. As this episode is released, the Kaseya incident is still pretty fresh, as it occurred just eight months ago. It's still sensitive, and the reflections of those involved are still vivid and somewhat raw. Cyber George of Visma says it was one of the best experiences of his life. He doesn't mean that he wished it to happen to the victims again, of course, but from a professional standpoint, he was at ground zero for one of the biggest ransomware incidents. He says figuring out what was going on was like hunting Moby Dick. Robert of Progressive Computing started to choke up when he told me about a man from the middle of Iowa who flew out to New York to help his company and his company's clients recover. The man was a complete stranger to Robert, but had heard through one of Robert's friends that help was needed. And the person in Iowa wasn't the only one who jumped up to help. Robert says it's a sign of the closeness of the MSP community and how that bond can beat cybercrime. Robert says that also helps him tamp down the anger that the incident can still stir up in him. There, there is that element of, um, I'll say that anger that you, I, I'm always just trying to fuel into something more positive. So instead of getting like, yeah. you know, like, you know, gritting my teeth and wanting to like meet that guy when he gets extradited to the U.S. I told the FBI, by the way, like if you guys like are having a little trouble making something stick, just call me up. Let me know. Put me in a room with the guy alone for just go, go get donuts or something and, and I'll, uh, I'll, Take care of him. <laughs> you, you know, you have Italian heritage, right? So don't mess with that. Uh, don't mess with Texas and don't piss off a New York Italian unless you want to you wanna end up someplace you shouldn't. So. I'm, I'm joking, of course. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there is that, uh, that passion and fire in me that, like, uh, you know, it's um, – I'm not going to take this laying down. And I'm not going to allow my community to suffer the way we suffered. But one particular part of this story really stood out to me. Victor Gavers of DIVD wrote this on Twitter on July 3rd, 2021, just one day after the attack. He writes, Somewhere this year, the DIVD will share a story about how we nearly prevented an enormous supply chain ransomware attack, which potentially led to the single largest ransomware spree in history and failed. I asked Frank, why did you think you failed? That that's really how it feels. Why do you feel like you failed? I don't. I don't think you failed because people got ransom. Uh, it, it 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 felt like like well together together with Kaseya, we were in this marathon to to fix software that had quite a bit of technical debt in it. We were nearing the finish line. Four out of the five bugs were fixed. We were going to go into a phase where together with Kaseya, we were going to scan the internet, make sure that everybody had their patches installed. And then with the finish line um, inside, on your right-hand side, all of a sudden comes Usain Bolt passes you, flips you the bird, ransoms a whole bunch of systems and, and beats you to the finish line. And, and, and yeah, so, so we failed in the sense that we haven't been able to prevent this one. And, and for us, the dream outcome would have been where we, where we sat down together with Kaseya, 
It's like, okay, we've got the patch. We get everybody to install the patch. And then we're going to publish a story on, on, on how we found this huge potential hole that could have, could have devastated, could have had serious consequences. And, and if we said it would have shut down half of the co-op supermarkets, people would have laughed at us because they would have thought we were probably overstating our own importance. But um, yeah, in the end, it did happen. I think DIVD is being too harsh on themselves. And, you know, there was a good outcome to this. Yaroslav Vasinski is going to be prosecuted. Even Russia in January 2022 rounded up more than a dozen alleged members of Our Evil in a really surprising law enforcement action. Now, of course, we don't know where that's going to go these days in light of world events, but it is somewhat positive. Robert of Progressive Computing says all of his customers eventually recovered because they had good backups, but it was a heck of a lot of work. And Espen says Visma helped the Coop grocery chain get back on its feet. Some stores had to be visited in person to install new images for the POS systems, and Espen says a lot of people spent their entire summer vacations working on that. To be sure, disaster recovery isn't for the meek. But the R Evil gang is no more. Sure, its affiliates and members may have joined other groups now, but maybe it's a sign that the increased focus on ransomware by law enforcement and the new strategies in place are actually kind of working. It's going to be a long slog, of course, but it's okay to notch a win or even a partial win now and again. This episode of The Ransomware Files was written, researched, edited, and produced by me, Jeremy Kirk. The production coordinator is Rashi Ramesh. The Ransomware Files theme song is by Chris Gilbert of Ordinary Weirdos Music. If you enjoyed this episode of The Ransomware Files, please share it and leave a review. It will help me keep this project going. Also, if you haven't already, go back and listen to episode 5, which is about our evil and its enormous attack on Texas. The series has its own Twitter handle, at Ransomware Files, which tweets news and happenings about ransomware. And I'm on Twitter, at Jeremy underscore Kirk. If you would like to participate in this project or have an idea for it, please get in touch with me. My direct messages are open on Twitter and I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. I'm looking for other people, organizations, and companies that can share their unique experiences for the benefit of all until ransomware, hopefully, becomes a thing of the past. Mm-hmm.